You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by Rick and not Sean. Sean decided to go off and, uh, ha- well, I guess his wife had the baby, but he is off the air for a couple of weeks while he does uh, baby daddy things. And we're joined, Rick and I are joined by Jasper Birch of Pine Island Games. And you have some big shoes to fill, Jasper, but I think the topic at hand is going to be really exciting. The uh, Well, I guess I'll stop enough so that you can say hi. Thank you for having me. Really awesome to be here. I've been following your content since the Deliverance Kickstarter, and it's really cool to like see what you've now built around it and the nascent community and the crowdfunding nerds Facebook group and the podcast is just a lot, a lot of fun and really excited to be here. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a blast. I find as much as I can do to just be a huge nerd and do what we enjoy. It, it makes, it brings joy to my life. I mean, you got quite a following yourself, Jasper. In fact, you just uh, launched on Kickstarter, your, your game net hunt or a squirrely game. And uh, you got quite a big following on different social media platforms that I'm really interested to talk to you about. Um, speaking of uh, the hunt, how did it how did it go for you? It was some really good results and really good foundation. There were also some disappointments with it. So, I mean, this podcast is all about being candid. Um, so to be completely candid, it was within the range of what our expectations were coming into it, but it was towards the lower end of that range in terms of like raw dollars funded. And there's a lot of things that we can point to to it and, and why, and I'm sure that we'll get into a lot of those, but there were also some really positive side surprises from it. So one of the big takeaways was just the energy and engagement of the community that we built around it. Um, Nut Hunt founded with about $43,000, 1,232 backers, and we had over 700 comments on the Kickstarter page. And that was our backers communicating and being part of it and being involved in bands of it. So that was really exciting. And I think that we're really well set up to fulfill a game ahead of schedule, a really good game ahead of schedule, which will set us up for our next game after that and our next game after that. And also to grow Nut Hunt sort of on the follow and taking some of these lessons learned from the Kickstarter to really have an exciting release post-fulfillment. Excellent. And, you know, for those that are listening, our topic today is really a post-mortem of the Nut Hunt campaign and various elements that Jasper shared about on a blog post, which we'll be sure to include in the in the show notes. He has this series called Kickstarter in Review on PineIslandGames.com on the blog. And he talked about the mistakes he made. You know, he evaluated all elements of his, his campaign and you know, his most recent blog on the 11th of July was the mistakes that he made. And um, so that's kind of what we're here to discuss. So it's really all about Nut Hunt and the build to the Kickstarter, the, you know, during the Kickstarter and, you know, reflecting on, you know, things that he could have done better, things that went really well and uh, that sort of thing. And I personally find that this type of information is so, well, it's, it's excellent, but it's also kind of uncommon for people to be so forthcoming with what went well, what went poorly, and 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 so on. And uh, you had some pretty raw and real information in there. So first of all, props to you for creating a an article like that. And, Thanks. Uh, I think it's I think it's sort of like my natural inclination is I am sort of 
very self-reflective sometimes to a self-critical point. I was a competitive magic card player for a while. And to get better at something like that, you really have to examine where you went wrong. And I think I've applied that pretty broadly in my life and try to you know, improve. But then putting it out there publicly is a whole different conversation. When we founded the company a little over a year ago, our philosophy around it was I want to be that font, font of knowledge that I didn't have access to or that I couldn't find. And so a lot of what I write about in the blog is topics where on our journey, I had a hard time understanding or finding this information. And so I'm putting it out there so someone who is me, but a year behind me can use my knowledge to better launch their company and better publish their games. And part of that is that I want to be honest and real and raw about both our triumphs and we have a lot of triumphs, but also where things went wrong and where you know we spent money and didn't earn it back, right? And and really just be honest about the ins and outs of this industry so that people can have realistic expectations and can do better for themselves. So let's let's kind of dive in a little bit. So we have what went well, what went poorly. I think the the um, you know and why the things went well, why the things went poorly. And my suspicion is that uh, our listeners are probably most interested in what went wrong, why the, why and kind of how to avoid those big pitfalls and and that kind of thing. But let's start off by talking about what went well because your campaign. I mean, you funded, yeah, 42000 almost $43,000 in, uh, in funding and not counting whatever you're doing in the pledge manager, but yeah. that's not... It's a, not bad. That's it's not a, bad. <laughs> it's a great... It's a, and that's why I'm saying it's, it's an excellent, excellent foundation, and it's a really good place to grow from. So I think that we can break down sort of what went well into a couple of buckets. One of them is social proof around the game. I think that we did a really good job getting... Review, our review campaign wasn't perfect, um, but we did a good job getting a good review campaign of recognizable content creators who I thought the game would resonate with. For the most part, we had one or two who were a little bit, I just liked their content, who I thought the game would resonate with and who you know would do it justice. And so we had a very good review campaign, a lot of good social proof around that. And then piggybacking on that is the way that we present ourselves. We're, we're an indie publisher. This is our first game. Um, but the way that we presented ourselves throughout the entire process was very professional. Um, we spent a lot of time making sure that our Kickstarter assets looked professional, that when we reached out to content creators, we were professional about it and you know upfront about it. I, I was talking to another indie publisher and they were having a hard time getting content creators to respond to their emails. And I was sort of blown away because we only had one content creator not respond to our outreach, right? Not all of them could, could, could cover the game. Some of them had scheduling conflicts, but out of every single content creator we reached out to, there was only one who just didn't respond. And I think that it comes back to sort of a behind the scenes of professionalism goes a very, very long way in this industry, right? If you look at the crowdfunding nerd nerds podcast, right? It's presented professionally, right? It's, it's real conversations. It's not, you know, that it's personal professionalism includes being personable and personal with people, right? It's, it's making those connections, but being in, in a professional way. So which reviewers would you say were kind of the biggest needle movers for you? The, be the best reviewers for us, it was interesting is none of our reviews 
had a crazy outsized viewership. I, you could definitely see sort of when it really resonated with people. So it really has to do with the type of game that we had. Nut Hunt is a family weight gateway game. And it is there is a good amount of strategic depth if you're into that. But there's also a variance that makes it very, very approachable. So the reviewers who tended to appreciate it were Our Family Plays Games, Quackalope really loved it. Grant over at Grant Games Direct really loved it. So there were sort of like the these these reviewers who aren't super crunchy on necessarily the strategy. Our most expensive review was actually our worst review. And that was uh, Ashton over at Shelfside. He gave it like a seven out of 10 overall, which isn't bad, but sort of you could tell that it wasn't didn't click with him um, as mm. well as it did some of our other reviewers. And so that's another interesting thing because you have to know the reviewers that you're reaching out to a little bit. And one of the small mistakes that we made with our review campaign had to do with sort of the timing of when I was going to get the prototypes. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think about prototypes that you're sending to a reviewer, there's a whole range of what a prototype could be. It starts off, you know, when you're making your game with glue sticks and colored pencil, and then you move on. And a lot of the advice on the internet is to use the game crafter or print and play games or make playing cards. And those are fine, but those only get you so far because these are what, what I like to think about as sort of like bespoke product, but it's, it's a modifiable product. It's not a custom product, right? So the game crafter, for the most part, you're printing onto a set size tile. You aren't making a custom die cut to punch out your game. What the big boys use is they get prototypes directly from their manufacturers. That's how you get really nice custom meeples. That's how you can get your plastic minis. Um, you know, you pay your mold fee and then you get your plastic minis for your actual game. So because of the timing with when our files were going to be done, I wasn't confident that I'd be able to get the, the production quality prototypes from the manufacturer in time. And so I hobbled together prototype copies using uh, print and play games, the game crafter. And we actually used like six millimeter acrylic meeples in the prototypes instead of eight to 10 millimeter wooden meeples like will be in the final game. I think that that was one of like the smaller, mis small mistakes that we made in that we didn't have, in that the actual prototypes didn't fully match the quality of the final product that the final product will be. And that's actually one of the components was one of the reasons why Shelfside by Ashton sort of knocked our game was because it was the six millimeter acrylic meeples when sort of a thicker meeple would have had better board presence and stand up better and little things like that, that you don't really think about a lot. And you don't see a lot of people talking about on the forums. Like I don't think I've ever seen anyone on the forums when someone says, how do I get prototypes made saying, have your manufacturer make them because most of the people who are interacting on the forums are interacting to the common denominator. And the common denominator on the forums is you are making, you know, game crafter type prototypes, which is completely fine and reasonable. But this is the type of stuff that I want on my blog and I want to be out there so that people understand that depending on what your goals are and how you're approaching this business, there are sort of different actions that you should take rather than the standard advice that you're probably seeing a lot of places. You know, um, on that meeple and, and the way that the reviewer took it because of the component quality, I had a, um, so there was one item in my review prototypes that I was missing. I think for, for some of them was uh, my heavenly gates tile. So in, in deliverance, you've got map boards that you're placing down. And the one that is supposed to be like, the starting spaces, we'll say you've got the gates of heaven and, you know, in clouds above, and then you, you place your angels in starting positions on the, the earth below, we'll say. And, um, I didn't have that for my first reviewer. So that was, uh, you know, I made sure to let them know 
that, hey, there is a tile that's going to be in the game. It looks awesome. Here's the art, but I don't have that in the prototype that I'm sending you because it's a little bit early and I really need your 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 content done early for people because I wanted it out before we actually went to Kickstarter and they were busy. So I found that letting people know a bulleted list of like, we didn't have the campaign done either. So, you know, what the campaign's going to be like and whatnot, it gives people some meat to talk about and, and that kind of thing. But also it kind of helps kind of prepare folks that, uh, you know, where they'll say, yeah, I didn't really like this one thing. However, uh, you know, like we didn't have miniatures either. So uh, yeah, the standees were interesting. They were nice full art, but I'd really like it to be ministers. Um, but they did say that there will be miniatures and that kind of thing. So I always try to provide a document written down of like, this is what the final components will be like. And here's the differences from the version that you have. Sometimes it works. Other times people will give you like a final rating, which never feels good when you, when it's a prototype and you know, you're trying to get build positive buzz and that kind of thing. So Jasper, was there any, you know, I guess, I guess maybe to qualify, I found that for deliverance, when I, when I was running deliverance about a year ago, I had one review video in particular that I put on my kind of my landing page. I put at the top of the review section on Kickstarter. And whenever anybody would ask for gameplay footage or like a, a, a review, that's the one I would always link because it had such excitement. It was Colin over at One Stop Co-op Shop. He just had a really fun time. And his it was like his mind was blown constantly, the whole review. It just sounded really fun. And so that's the one that I used when I would share it with people. And that one ended up getting like, probably six or 7,000 views because I want to say, because I was sharing it a lot. <laughs> Every time somebody would ask, so did you have anything like that? Did you find use? Uh, did you find any auxiliary use out of the reviews that you got? I did do a little bit of promotion of videos on TikTok where there were, because it's pretty easy on TikTok, um, where there were a couple of videos that I threw, you know, 100, 200 bucks behind just to promote it a little bit. I didn't have a big review video that I sort of spotlighted throughout our media. We did have a very, very phenomenal Kickstarter video um, that Ori Kagan made for mm -hmm. us. Um, and it was a minute and four seconds and it had about over 3000 views and the watch to completion rate was 62%. That's great. Which is pretty phenomenal. And that video also very well captured what the gameplay is. So you could watch the video and essentially know how to play the game already. Um, so I think that did a lot of the heavy lifting um, of people coming to the Kickstarter page and trying to get a sense for what this game is. And then another thing that we did, which is very, very common, is pull reviewer quotes that sort of tell the story that we wanted to tell throughout the campaign. You did mention TikTok. And we don't really talk about, we haven't really talked about TikTok on this podcast. Can you... Yeah. Give us a little more information about TikTok. I, I believe you had over a thousand followers on TikTok. Um, how did you acquire them? Was it mostly paid ads, or did you uh, start organically, or how, how did how did how did TikTok come about? Uh, One hundred percent organic. It's hard to maintain a lot of social platforms when it's just you running them. You can cross post a little bit, but you don't give them all the same TLC that you can um, that you'd like to. So I had been writing the blog already and TikTok just seemed like an easy thing where you can just take out your phone and spend 30 seconds or a minute and record a video and post it. And it's a way to just interact with people. There's a relatively small community on TikTok of board game designers and, a, and publishers and a 
pretty a, a fairly meaningful community of people who are at least somewhat interested in the board game hobby. And so TikTok was just organic. It was just posting videos. I'm not super strategic about it. Uh, at times, I'll try to be a little bit more strategic about it. And there's ways that you can sort of um, curate your content so that they're the right length, so that you're using sounds that will catch with people um, and getting on trends. I don't do a lot of that. I do a little bit of that. Um, I just try and sort of be myself and be personable and have it be another place where I can interact with people. And it's actually been pretty powerful for us. We have, I have a little over a thousand followers. I also sort of during the lead into the campaign, I did this series where I was challenging TikTokers to play Nut Hunt. And then we talk about it and I have a little whiteboard over there. I'm, it looks like I'm 19, 19 wins to six losses in, in Nut Hunt against Kickstarter, against TikTokers. Um, so it's a nice way to just have community. Uh, I, there's a couple of people over there who I've become friends with through interacting with on TikTok. They're in the Facebook group. They're in the Kickstarter. They're sort of like active and a part of sort of like this community. And I think TikTok's a very underutilized platform for board game designers and developers. And there's been a couple success stories that I've seen of games do quite well because of their TikToks. There was a, a game that launched in February, uh, Not So Neighborly by FamBam Games. It hit, I think, $116,000 raised. There were two things that went right for them. One is there was an, a, a large game that was a party game also that launched at the same time that gave them a, a shout out, followed their project, um, and that brought some traffic. But most of their traffic and most of their growth, all of their marketing, was just TikTok, was just their organic TikTok marketing. And they raised six figures just on organic TikTok marketing. So if you do it right, you can do really well with it. Wow. The other thing that's kind of cool, and my gut is that video conversion rates are lower on TikTok than they are on YouTube. I don't have the statistics for that, but that's sort of my gut just with how you interact with the platform. But there are content creators on TikTok with... 100,000, 200,000 followers who charge a couple hundred dollars for to make a video for you, mm -hmm. which is much lower than, than, than other platforms. But aren't those videos typically quite short? Typically a minute is sort of what they'll do for a board game sort of content. You can also do 60, 30 seconds. Some of these content creators will do both a short a short form video for the TikTok, but also something a little bit longer for, for their YouTube channel. And you can sort of pull both. The one issue with the TikTok videos is the, the vertical alignment, vertical space on a Kickstarter page is very, very, like, very valuable. Um, right. So. So you don't want to, so it's a little bit unfortunate, like that you have these vertical videos, but no, they do, they do good content. Um, and the, the, there's a few channels that do minute long videos. I mean, some of my favorites over there, um, one of minute board games, Wusung games, Grant's games, Rex, Danny Stranding, they all did like amazing jobs with our content. Most of them were undercharging in my opinion. So I, I give this advice to creators that, you know, our clients, when, when they talk to us about you know, what communities should I use? What social media networks should I use? And that kind of thing. And my advice is always use the social media networks that you're used to using. You know, if you're a boomer, you're going to use Facebook or whatever, right? TikTok is probably not something that you want to learn if you're, you know, um, just not going to use it anyway, right? And um, so that's, and the reason for that, uh, the, the reason I give that advice is because there are already so many things to keep track of as it is, that, you know, yet another thing, if you put an artificial presence on a yet another platform and you're not actually trying to like use it, 
then might as well pour that effort into the platforms that you are using. So with TikTok, would you also, I mean, do you think that advice holds true or do you think that people should just like, I mean, everybody's kind of a boomer when it comes to TikTok. I think it holds true more for TikTok than for other platforms. Um, I think with something like Instagram, you can, with a low amount of effort, at least have a little bit of presence. I think that for TikTok, you really need to show up and you really need consistency. And I'm not a big TikToker, right? I have a little over a thousand followers. Um, so I'm by no means big on TikTok. But just looking around, I mean, you want to be posting five times a week. And they can be really short, silly videos that are really easy. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you'll fall down this rabbit hole where you start editing things and can sink more and more time into it. Um, and if that's what you want to do, I that's thought you fine. were going to say twerking. <laughs> oh, no. So, so here's what's wild. And so this is one of those things that's really funny is that TikTok's algorithm is like pretty intelligent because it doesn't only look at what you're liking, what you're actually interacting with, commenting on and liking, but it also can tell how long it takes you to sort of scroll past a video. Mm -hmm. And so... When people are talk about how they're stuck on like, you know, girls who are skimply clad dancing, like you're outing yourself because that's how TikTok <laughs> sees the content that you're watching, right? Like yep. my feed is dogs and board games, right? Like it's Yeah, I pretty much have like cute cat videos and board game stuff. Yeah, and like sometimes you'll get the you'll you'll sometimes you'll get like the really trending videos that will still pop up, right? Because the they twerking do twer cat, the exactly. twerking board game, and sometimes cat. they do like cycle things through because they're popular content they're going to put in front of more and more people. So like occasionally you will get that stuff, mm -hmm. but for the most part you're going to be shown what you're interacting with, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I will also say one other thing about TikTok that I find interesting is that you don't necessarily uh, so you know, on a Facebook page, Facebook group, Instagram, you're limited to the, you know, your reach is limited by the number of followers that you have. And Instagram, you can kind of get around this with the right hashtags. You might be able to get popular, um, you know, like a particular post, but every TikTok that you post has the opportunity to kind of quote unquote, go viral. It'll, it'll start showing to people who are not your followers and, that kind of thing. And I find that pretty interesting. It's cool. It's also interesting, different content. Like, so my better videos will, most of my videos get around 250 or 300 views, right? Like they're pretty small. Um, occasionally I'll have a video that'll get like one or 2000 views. Usually I'm doing something silly. It's interesting though, uh, my wife, Chelsea, she's not very active on, on TikTok, but she'll occasionally post, but her posts tend to be on trend. So it'll be, you know, there's a viral sound and with like, some sort of faces that you make or or some sort of captioning that you do and her videos will get you know more views than my average videos every single time um and she has way fewer followers um and that's because when you hit these viral trends your video will go broader but it won't necessarily go to people who are as invested or as targeted yep. as what you're doing and so the people who can really sort of like who are in a niche because we're we are in a niche, right? We aren't just trying to be TikTok content creators and get paid for that. We're trying to interact mm -hmm. with people to sell board games. If you can find a way to in your niche sort of get that engagement but also get more reach, I think that's where where things really start being magical for you. Mm -hmm. I haven't quite hit that stride, uh, but I think even without that, the the platform is pretty fun. Yeah. Well, we get to talk to you before you get famous. Um, <laughs> so then let's go back to kind of the the pros of. What, what it is that worked very well for Nut Hunt. So you raised $43,000 almost with tw over 1,200 backers, which is a very good number. And I am curious as about where would you say the bulk of that money came from? So what's interesting is 
we did a very good job throughout the campaign of a maintaining momentum through sort of two different actions that we were taking. So one of them it was at least early in the campaign, the Kickstarter algorithm is pretty powerful for sort of the natural marketing. So if you are on the front page of Kickstarter, you're going to get some some traffic just naturally. We were a little bit hurt because our price point is lower. So our dollar funding amount was a little bit lower relative to our backers. But we stayed on those first two pages for a bit longer than I think we had the right to given our funding levels. And the way that we did that is the Kickstarter algorithm cares about a couple things. It cares about your dollars funded um, and sort of the velocity of how much money is coming in the door, uh, the backers, how many backers are coming in the door, but also cares about the interaction. And I didn't realize this until we started the campaign, but Kickstarter cares about comments on your campaign page. And so we encouraged our backers to interact with us. I messaged every single backer individually when they backed, just saying thank you. If there was some way that I could connect with them personally, like they had a funny profile picture, I'd comment on that. If it was just a name, it was just pretty generic thank you. And so that sort of engaged people and made them excited to be part of the part of the campaign. We also in the updates encouraged people to comment on the campaign page. And then we also a couple of days in the campaign did a um a phone wallpaper giveaway. Not Hunt has really incre incredible art. We spent a lot of time and money and effort getting the best illustration that we could. And so we incentivize people, comment on the campaign page with your favorite of these six illustrations, and we'll send you the wallpaper for it. Share the campaign page, and we'll send you all six. And so we sort of got sort of organic engagement just by being active and, and engaging with our with our supporters on the actual campaign page. And then throughout the campaign, we did a number of organic outreach, a bit of organic outreach. We had a little bit of review content spill over throughout the campaign, but not a lot. That's another thing that I'm going to work do next time is sort of have larger content releases. But during the campaign, something that worked really well for us was actually marketing on Reddit. And I think that that's pretty atypical for board games. And there's definitely some hurdles to being able to do it. Um, you have to invest in having an account on Reddit that is a real account that is actually you and people know it's you. You can't just make an account and expect to be able to go out and get a bunch of attention. And then you also have to be very, very careful with your tone. Um, Reddit is an absolute bloodbath if people think that you are marketing or if you're being sort of disingenuous. So you can be excited and talk about these things that you're doing and market. And sometimes people will call you out on that and you have to have like a good answer. Um, and I'm used and my good answer is just being honest, like, yeah, like, of course, I want you to check out our campaign. But I also thought this would be interesting for people and people are finding it interesting. and We're having great conversations. And that kind of response where you're like, where you acknowledge that, like, yes, this is in part marketing, but it's also something that I think is interesting and engaging and that other people will appreciate that tends to go a long way because Reddit very, very much cares that you're being genuine and they hate if you're spamming or they hate if you're being sort of like marketing. But I would say that we got, I mean, definitely over $5,000 directly attributed, attributable to Reddit, probably closer to like seven or $8,000. And that's not including sort of like add-on and spillover effects. And that was just- Oh, actually, I just want to butt in real quick. Sorry, because I got real excited. I actually stumbled upon one of your Reddit posts and you did a phenomenal job on your post you actually gave away something in like you gave you did a uh, print and play for your game and, and then you just asked for some, some critical feedback 
And I went through that, that, that thread and I mean, you got critical feedback. I thought like, it wasn't like, just like, sometimes you go on Reddit, it's just all people yeah. just, you know, spoofing each other and, you know, making fun of things, not trolling and stuff. And, you know, but you got some really crazy good critical feedback. I thought, I so think I that, would, that was really awesome. So um, that post, so I, I, I did post a couple, so there's, there's a couple of sort of easy organic places that anyone can post and you don't need sort of a big Reddit account, right? You can share your print and play on, you know, the Reddit print and play group or, uh, or even if it's early enough, um, some, some groups have like restrictions on how often you can post there, but if you're, it's early enough, you can post on our board games. You can also share that in like the Facebook groups, like Martin's print and play hideaway and things like that. The posts that actually did really well on Reddit though, were a little bit different. And they were the posts that are trying to hit a much broader audience outside of the board game group specifically. So there's a couple, and I can share this with you guys. There's um, there's a list of subreddits where you can see the, the number of subscribers to each subreddit. And then there's a separate resource where you can see the best times to post. You can sort by how many posts hit a thousand upvotes or 2000 upvotes. And you can see what time, time, time of day is the best to post those. And the post that did the best, I did an ask me anything an AMA. I think I got the timing a little bit off on that, but it was still uh, pretty, pretty good. I think it got a good amount of traffic. I did a post to get motivated, the pretty me- mediocre. I thought it would do a little bit better, but that's a pretty big forum. So if you can get the tone right there then that can do pretty well and then i had a post to our gaming which is also a big subreddit that is not directly board games board games and video games and i got a lot of traffic from there um so those were sort of like the way that i think about reddit marketing is, is sort of twofold one just have to be on the platform. You're going to be on the board game design platforms. you're going to be in our board games you're going to be interacting with people people will get to know who you are a little bit recognize your username a little bit, see your posts, be excited to interact with you, know that you're a real human being. If your first post is is a post that is selling yourself or your stuff. But you'll get destroyed. Yeah, people are going to write terrible negative things about you and you'll have, yeah. it, or, or maybe they'll just ignore you. I definitely Yeah, no, they'll downvote yeah. you and they'll blast you. Yeah, yeah. They, are, they don't. Yeah, Reddit's really hot or really cold. There's like no lukewarm in there. In fact, uh, if you are new on Go Reddit fix. and you need some karma, um, one of the easiest things to do is to go in a group and say, oh, you guys are so great. And then all of a sudden it's like, boop. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, top 10 posts. You need to have also on Reddit, you have to have a really good ratio of posts that aren't about you or aren't anything that even could be construed in marketing to actual posts that like could be self-promotional. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, it's recommended that you do like 10 to one. Um, and normally that's fine because normally I'm just on Reddit sharing a picture of my dog every once in a while, hanging out. But during the campaign, I had a higher concentration of posts about the game that I was making. So it was really hard. And next time around, I'm going to be much more conscious of like, make this of having other posts lined up to just go live after sort of the the engaging post. Mm-hmm. But I think about Reddit marketing in sort of twofold. One is sort of the the slow burn organic. A big piece of outreach that I do is I have the blog that I write twice a week, almost always, sometimes it's once a week, but I, I write the blog twice a week. And when I write a blog post that fits in with a community, so Facebook and Reddit, mostly the, the right communities in those environments, I will share it there. They'll interact with me, they'll get to know me, have a conversation, and that's awesome. And then also I hang out in these forums and I interact with other board game designers. People ask questions, you give feedback and advice, you're a contributing member of the community. And that's 
rewarding and great. And it's also sort of like a slow burn where you sort of become ingrained in these communities. Then on the other side, there are what we did during the actual campaign, which are sort of like you're dropping bombs, right? You're you're finding these subreddits that have the potential of getting a million eyes on a post and you're trying to format your posts right so it has the appropriate uh, tone and then you're you're posting it. Um, so our our angle when we were when we were making those posts on Reddit was, that I left a career in finance to publish board games and our first board game, you know, just funded. And it's sort of like this first step on this exciting journey that we're going on to do that. You know, I had to be raw and real about sort of what it was like in a career in finance, why I ended up leaving. Am I insane? Or do I have enough savings to try and get this company off the ground, which like probably both, um, to be honest. And, and so you really, so I was really, you, putting myself out there um, and being vulnerable um, to this community, because the risk is if you don't do that, that it it's just not going to work at all. Right. And and Reddit is can, is very viral where if something catches, then it really just sort of like ca- can catch and snowball and be like really, really good. Um, and if it doesn't, then it just goes absolutely nowhere. And what was hard for us is with the tone is people don't necessarily like finance bros, right? Like there's a lot of sort of animosity towards towards finance sort of out in the world right now. And so having the right tone where I could like engage and acknowledge that and then also sort of have like real conversations was, was a little hard. And I think I did a pretty good job with it. It's hard to do right. But I think if you can do it right, it can be very, very beneficial. Yeah, once I actually managed to crack the code of Reddit and um, I made it to the top, like at the time we were ranked number four of all time in the the entrepreneur subreddit. Um, and we got new, we got clients from that for uh, for our digital, mar- like SEO marketing at the time uh, business. And we still do that, but not the only thing we do. And uh, of course, being uh, nerds that market board games um, and talk about it all the time on this podcast. But uh, I find that when you do crack the code, I mean, for us, we had traffic for five years from that post. It's amazing. And even like every every week, I get somebody saying, thank you for writing that thing about cold calls. But uh, it's very interesting. So um, I'm glad we got to talk about TikTok and Reddit because those are some of those things that are less well-known in, uh, or rather less discussed and more of a mystery to a lot of people because it's just, it's really hard to just jump in, crack the code and monetize. But there are things that you can do that are very, very well established, you know, the, that are kind of common pieces of advice, you know, building an email list and, and other things like that, having a great product and so on. But, um, and I, you know, I, I personally find uh, the nut hand, I, I, I thought the game was going to be successful immediately as soon as I saw the box cover, because it's just really fun looking and kind of silly, a squirrel with a big nut in its mouth and being chased by a fox and uh it just seems like it explains what the game is about right away and to me i think that that's one of those intangible well it's very tangible when you can see it but it's kind of difficult to just make something like that that just okay the cover feels like the the actual game you know like i want what's on the cover I want that in the game. If it's the exact same thing, then I'm going to be happy. So I think you did a pretty good job with that. And I, you know, in general, I think you did a good job kind of cataloging what you were doing and being open before 
you even went live, I know you and I had conversations just on, you know, various Facebook groups and, you know, where you asked for advice and other things like that. So I think you had a lot going for you. And I think that you generally managed a really smart build to the campaign where it wasn't so much about, Hey, buy my thing, but it's, Hey, this is something that I'm working on and I'm going to share advice along the way, which I think there's a lot of value to be had because, uh, from a philosophy like that, because there are a lot of people in your same position or, you know, like you said, a year behind you, you know? And so I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, for anybody that's listening to this podcast, that is in whatever state you're in, you should probably be talking about that, you know, like even the anxiety and imposter syndrome and uh, the difficulties that you're feeling now. I think there's, there's a certain attractiveness to vulnerability, right? And I think that people want to, they tend to want to know more and support and that kind of thing. If you have a, uh, displayed a pattern of vulnerability as uh, out of a desire to help others, you know? Yes, but also don't go overboard because I think we all know people on Facebook who whenever there's a little thing, it's a big deal and a little bit woe is me. And I think that that can be pretty alienating for people. I think Mm -hmm. it has to be sort of this balance of you're a competent, reasonable human being who's like working really hard at something and be able to 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 be vulnerable and and open about everything around it without being negative because people do I think not that's want the to key positive on purpose right you know the everything should be framed from a positive perspective like these are real things that i'm dealing with but and this is how i'm dealing with those things you know it's uh, not so much about you know i but i agree with you. i agree with you well that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.